Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening session. At a big conference this weekend in Toronto. It's a pretty big thing. Um, a lot of doctors and professors and Buddhists from all over. I was quite surprised at the turnout. Many kinds of Buddhism. And there are many ways of looking at Buddhism. There are many parts to the Buddhist teaching. Many interpretations of those parts. Many different practices of those many different interpretations of those many different parts. And so often there are many arguments and debates about the many different practices and many different interpretations of the many different parts of the Buddhist teaching. None of that's very important for us. We have a very specific practice here. No, we're a fairly specific community. But the parts of the Buddhist teaching, this is of interest to us. The Buddha said it's like a big tree. Buddhism is like a big tree with branches and leaves. So many beautiful things about the tree. Buddhism has, the Buddha said, Adikalyanang, Majjikalyanang, Priyosanakalyanang. It's beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. All parts of it are beautiful, just like all parts of it, of a majestic oak tree or majestic tree in the forest. But he said, not all, not all parts of the tree are are as useful, and. Well, even just putting aside that kind of a judgment statement, we can see that different people approaching the tree make use of it in different ways. So some people come to the tree and they just take branches and, and leaves and flowers. Some people take uh, 
some people take the branches, some people take the bark of the tree. In olden times they would make bark dresses out of the out of trees. The, there were certain trees you could pull the bark off and wear it like a like a robe. It's an easy way to get a to get clothing. And some people will take the wood from the tree, the soft wood. And some people will take the heartwood, the very core, the very essence of the tree. I think when we come to Buddhism, well, it's like this, right? Some people are born into Buddhism, and so for them Buddhism is a fairly superficial thing. Not just because they were born in it, but many people who are born into Buddhism are just naturally, superficially Buddhist. Most people who, well, even some people who come to Buddhism later in life are drawn to the superficial aspects. That's not a judgment statement, it's just a statement of observation. What's important is that we don't confuse the superficial with the deep and, and profound. You know, if you ring a bell and think, wow, I'm doing profound Buddhism, it's not, it's not really... There's something wrong with your understanding, I think. If you're really good at chanting and you can chant all the Buddha's teaching and you think that somehow that means you're, you're a deep, deep Buddhist, you have to think again. Fortunately, the teachings are quite clear about this. Even when we come and meditate, you know, I think I would say that the majority of people, if not the, the almost all the people who come to practice insight meditation, don't don't quite realize what they're getting themselves into, and. They may have some idea that they're looking for wisdom, but they don't realize what exactly that means and what the implications of that are, how it's going to draw you in and change your life in ways that you didn't think it was possible to change your life. You know? We say we want to be happy, we want to be free from suffering. We don't even know how much we're suffering. Part of the practice is just realizing, boy, I'm suffering. I thought this was happiness, right? I thought my life was full of butterflies and rainbows. So that's why I'm unsatisfied, because it's actually quite wretched. Which is wonderful, because of course then you can change. So it's quite possible that come, someone comes to the tree and just just looking for some flowers. But as they look at this tree, they say, hey, I could make a house out of that. And they cut it down and take it home with them. Kind of like that. I don't like the analogy of cutting down trees. I'm not really fond of this simile in that sense. Trees, I think, are just fine the way they are. No need to cut them all down. But nonetheless... 
You can't confuse the heartwood of the tree with the leaves. So the Buddha said there's some people in the same way with Buddhism, some people come to Buddhism just for the materialism, the material aspect. This is when you see the in many Buddhist countries there are golden temples, they call them, um, and brightly colored statues and, and paintings and chanting and ringing of bells. This is spiritual materialism. They were talking about this at the at the conference and they, they talked about it a little bit differently, but in my mind this is what spiritual materialism is. We get into the religion for the material aspects. I mean, a very common one is people go to live in Asia, they'll go to live at monasteries because they can get food, you know. Some people even become monks because it's an easy way to get food. Sometimes monks will fall into this, you know, just get caught up in this adoration and um, this support, you know, the sort of respect and, and faith that people put in them and they it's easy to get lazy because it's quite comfortable. Buddha said this is like someone who finds the leaves, goes into the forest, maybe they're looking for the heartwood of the trees, real they're looking for this strong core of the Dhamma. And they come back with leaves. And they say, hey, look, I've got the heartwood. That happens, you know. People think, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Buddhist. Look, I'm dressed like a Buddhist. And people think that, that all monks are enlightened or that all monks practice meditation. Not true. Some people are just in it for the material aspect. So, even here at the meditation center, it's possible you can get quite comfortable. That's dangerous. Even dangerous, not dangerous, it's a shame because there's much more to be got. It's dangerous, at least in the sense that it's going to waste all the time that you're here when you could be seeking out the hardwood that's there for you. Some people... You know, even if you just talk about the life, life of a of a Buddhist, it's quite peaceful, right? And in a good way. It's not just about getting something, it's about being something. As a Buddhist monk, you're very peaceful. Even as a Buddhist meditator, some people like to live in meditation centers and it's very peaceful, which is a good thing. It's a peaceful life. It's positive, it's wholesome. So again, this is pure. There's a There's a purity here. Who stay in monasteries are often quite well, quite peaceful. They don't contribute so much to materialism. They live quite simply. They don't take up much resources. There's something beautiful about that. 
but it's not the core and and it's easy to the problem is when you unless you reach the core of buddhism you're 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 still full of defilements right and so the potential for this to become perverted is is quite great so again it can lead to 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 create to attachment laziness but it can also lead to arrogance conceit you know you think i am a meditator look at me i'm a buddhist Look at me, I'm a monk wearing these robes I am a monk A real, true monk Someone said at the conference something that's really bizarre And I completely disagree There was some disagreeing that went on at the conference I wasn't part of it But now that I'm safely back at home and It's not like anyone's going to hear this It's not like it's going on the internet or anything Oh wait no, someone said, uh, I don't mind, it's okay Healthy debate is fine Someone said, uh, the Sangha The Sangha, when we, when we pay respect to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha it's, uh, it's always monks and nuns Which is such a bizarre statement because that's totally wrong The, um, the Sangha that we pay respect to is the enlightened ones There's two kinds of Sangha I mean a Sangha is uh, And someone corrected me on this It's not actually any one person The Sangha is a group of four or more monks Or, or female or male monks That's a Sangha But that's only one usage of the term The Arya Sangha has nothing to do with that A Sotapanna Anyone who's a Sotapanna is Arya Sangha And they're what we worship They're what we pay respect to Whoever they are It could be a seven-year-old child So anyway We, um, you know, we often think, "Hey, I'm something special." It's nothing to do with being a monk or a nun. The second um, second type of person, they go into the forest and they come out with with branches, right? First it's the leaves, then it's the branches Branches are useful, you can hit people with them You can you can build build a, uh, like the second little pig, right? He built his house out of, out of twigs, out of branches It's not a great hut because the, you know, we know that the wolf blew that house down as well In the same way it won't Really help us against our defilements It's not it's not strong enough It will help For a while A person who, who takes the branches By this the Buddha meant One who uh, One who practices morality One who actually lives The, the life, you know Keeps the precepts Even you could say one who does the practice So We come here and we meditate You know, while I'm doing the meditation course Look at me keeping eight precepts 
It's quite powerful. It's a very pure way of living. I know some people who keep eight precepts and go to work. It's quite rare, but uh, it happens that people live in the world and still want to keep eight precepts. In the time of the Buddha, there was this lay people who wore, wore white all the time and uh, kept eight precepts through for their life. And it's, it's good. I mean, it certainly supports your practice. It's the very foundation of meditation practice. Just to say that you could have meditation without ethics is quite bizarre, really. You know, you need to... There's so much, there's so much support that needs to go into your meditation practice. It's not just a magic where you turn, you flip a switch and suddenly you're enlightened. So many, um, well, you know, the different kinds of causality. There are many different factors that come into play. Ethics is important, but it's not enough, and it's possible to become complacent, even egotistical about your ethics. So the Buddha said, some people are ethical, and then they disparage those who are not. So I'm a monk. I've got 227 precepts. That means something does mean something but when you start to think that it means something it gets problematic and you start to hold on to that be proud of it you get stuck there you're the person who you're the second little pig who made his house out of out of twigs out of branches Third type of person is someone who takes the bark, the bark of the tree. Now, the bark of the tree could be uh, could be quite strong. I don't know. I think the bark is actually pretty weak, but let's just say the outside of the tree. This person has gone beyond the branches, which don't have much to them, but they've gone to the trunk, but all they're taking is the bark. So maybe it's good to make a roof out of, keep the rain out. This is a person who practices concentration, practices samadhi, or someone said at the conference, concentration isn't a good translation, and they said tranquility, which isn't a good translation either, but... Um, focus might be better Samadhi Because Samadhi comes from The same sort of root as same Or in Thai they say Samam Sam Sam seems to be this root Of you know Sort of finding a, a Finding the, the middle way Really So when, it, when you focus a camera It's not about concentrating right? When you focus When this camera is in focus or out of focus, it's somewhere in the middle. It's tweaking the mind and getting the mind well-tuned. When the mind is in tune, that's what samadhi is. 
It means you get your, your mind to a state where you're no longer judging, where you're experiencing. Now all of you have experienced that, I'm sure. While you're here, you, sometimes we wish it was all the time and we, we feel discouraged because it's not all the time. You shouldn't. I should be quite encouraged that you've experienced it, that there are times, even just moments, where you are f focused, you're in focus. When you walk, you know I'm walking. Gachanto va gachamiti bhajanati. 2,500 years old teachings. You're doing exactly what the Buddha said. And those moments are this purity, this focus. As you practice, of course, they gather together and uh, allow you to see quite clearly. And so there's this big debate about what that means, about how focused you have to be, about what is required to get in focus. And it's quite bizarre because, you know, you think people who are spending so much time arguing about this, you got to wonder where their focus is, really. Personally, I'm uh, I'm quite adamant about this that people put too much effort into this debate. This debate, particularly, there are some debates that it's worth having an opinion on, but this isn't one of them. There are many ways to focus the mind. Some of them are going to lead to enlightenment. Some of them are not. Uh, but when you start getting into this idea that only my way is true focus, it's really bizarre. To me, the best way to focus is to use a mantra. It helps you come become clearly aware of the object. So I talked about this over the weekend. What mindful? What, what I? What the Visuddhimagga and the, the the Orthodox tradition says about sati. And it fits quite well with what we do because it it involves this reaffirmation of your experience, which keeps you focused on the experience, so that you're you're confronting it, you're not forgetting it, you're not wavering from it, you're guarding the mind. These are all what the texts say about sati. It's not a word that's that's um, that's. There's not a lack of understanding of what this word means in the tradition. It's just we don't talk about it. We hear the word mindfulness, and so we already know what that means. and So we have a vague idea. It's nothing to do with the original meaning. Very little to do anyway. So when we use this mantra, we repeat to ourselves, seeing, seeing, or even if it's a concept, if you're looking at a candle flame and you say fire, fire, that's a form of you're definitely focused, right? I don't think we have to worry about what is what is focus, what is not focus, what is right focus and so on. That clearly to me is focus. And if you do that enough, in many different ways, you're going to uh, you're going to gain this profound focus that the Buddha called jhana and which leads to insight but there are those people who become very very complacent with their focus 
Usually they focus on the wrong thing They're focused on a concept People like to focus on the comfortable things We want to focus on what's stable, satisfying, controllable It's fine to have a stable meditation practice first But if you don't use that stability To learn about you know, what is impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable you don't let yourself experience the craziness, you know So people say interesting things like uh, You have to You have to The mind has to be free from the five hindrances Before you start practicing satipatthana or something like that or Before you start practicing insight As they want to say which is interesting because in the Satipatthana Sutta it's quite clear that you're being mindful of even the hindrances, right? When you have anger in the mind, you know there is anger in the mind. That's practicing Satipatthana. And it's so it really gets confusing for people when they hear, well, this teacher says that and that teacher says this. And it's ignorant of what the Buddha actually said. There are different ways. You practice this way first, then you practice insight first, and then... You, you, you calm down your mind Or you calm your mind first And then you practice insight Clearly there's a flexibility This is one area where there's clearly Flexibility And people are very inflexible Which is unfortunate Anyway um, So we focus People get focused and, and And the problem is they don't move on because this is the comfortable part Before you practice insight When you're just focused and calm All of you got to this stage, right? You're here four or five days The first three or four days was pure torture And then after four or five days oh, I'm really getting this I really got this And that's when the real danger starts Because now it's comfortable You know, you were willing to push on further With the hope that it was going to get comfortable But now that it is comfortable why do I have to keep working? Why do I have to be mindful of this? Because it's not enlightenment It's not the way out of suffering It's a part of the way It's a very good support of the way But it's not enough And so you can become conceited about it You can become attached to it The Buddha said Someone once said, you can't become you can't become attached to the jhanas. This was this idea, you can't become attached to the jhanas. Well, the Buddha said in the Maha Mahasaropama Sutta is what I'm going through now. He said, you have concentration, you become conceited about it. You can even become conceited about insight. So the next one, a person practices what we're all practicing. Gain great insight You learn about yourself You reduce your 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 conceit Your arrogance, your, your attachment, your delusion It all gets reduced, it's great And you, then, you get it, then you get arrogant and conceited about that These Samatha meditators, right? Or these Hindu Hindus, these Christians there's a lot of comics floating around now People making, Buddhists making fun of themselves 
people, you know, monks sitting around racing to enlightenment. Who's going to become enlightened first? There were some people posted some of these at the conference. Even through the practice of insight, it's possible to become attached to it. You, you can become complacent about it. Insight isn't the goal. We think, wow, I've just learned so much. I have meditators, some meditators like that. They'll get halfway through the course and then they want to go home. They say, you know, it's not because they didn't get anything. They feel like they got something and that's enough for them. They usually come back and... and, and relate that it wasn't enough and they realize that but insight isn't the, isn't the goal it's the practice it's the path to something greater to the heartwood the heartwood is simply freedom from suffering that's what we're aiming for and it's not even in an abstract sense like eventually gradually hey I'm free from suffering it's a, it's a real state of Having nothing, nothing, nothing arising. You know, a state where the mind, the mind ceases to reach out to the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind. It rests. It's where the mind rests, and you know, it's like the mind goes on strike. It says, "No, you're not worth clinging to." Just for a minute just for a moment but even that moment it teaches you something it helps you see that see this possibility to be free from suffering and slowly slowly you, you, your mind is less inclined to go out certainly less inclined to, to wander and to get caught up and to become greedy or angry or deluded But that's what we're aiming for. That there is no danger. There's no danger of becoming conceited about your enlightenment, about your, your freedom from suffering. There's no danger about being conceited about being a, an enlightened being. So if someone is conceited, it's, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, if they're conceited about their attainments, it's certainly a sign that they may not be really. They may not really have achieved those attainments. But I said I would try not to you know, try to present it non-judgmental. I think that's important. It's important to be clear that all of this is beautiful and all of this is good. And I think even more important and worth mentioning is the idea that it leads you onward. You know, there was this story of this man who came to the monastery. He just came there because he was going to kill someone. So this guy goes around um, getting everyone, he wants to make this big donation, so he gets everyone to put a little bit of food in. They're going to get everyone in the village or in the city's food and make a big offering to the monks. And this one really rich guy was very stingy, and so he just put a few rice grains in. He was really you know, disdainful. And... Uh, and the man took those grains and he put them put them aside, maybe a, a handful of grains, and he put them aside, and didn't mix them with all the other rice. And this rich man saw that and he thought, he's going to make a laughingstock of me. He's doing this so that he can say to them, 
look, this is look, the rich man gave just this much. And he got very angry, and so he went to the monastery and had a knife under his robe. And he watched when this man gave gave the food. And he watched, and, and what the man did is then he took this handful of rice and he cooked it and he put a little bit in all the food. And he's like, I don't know what he's doing, this, this man with a knife, I don't know what he's doing. And uh, he got ready, he said, if he says anything, I'm going to just stab him. <laughs> this was not a meditator. And so this man, the, the, the donor guy, he presents it to the Buddha and all the monks and he says, Venerable Sir, all the people in the city put their food together. May they all share in the benefits equally. And this, this man with a knife, he was stunned when he realized how, what this man had done. You know, he had taken his, his rice and made sure that some of it went to all of the people so that this rich man could also get benefit from, from thinking that he had fed all these monks. I'm t I tell that story because it's, you know, even, even someone who came to the monastery with that intention, it, it brought him, and then he, he became you know, quite interested in the Buddhist teaching, and maybe even enlightened, I can't remember. But... Um, We shouldn't we shouldn't look down upon people, right? I mean, this shouldn't shouldn't uh, disc discount people who just do you know who just give give dana, for example. Shouldn't even discount those people who are material Buddhists, you know, who come to the monasteries and meditation centers, uh, maybe to help out, maybe just to live an, a, a peaceful life. You know, the potential is always there for them to go further. And not only that, but they're building up for future potential. Like even Devadatta, he became a monk and wanted to kill the Buddha and tried to kill the Buddha several times. And in the end, even even he was, was converted. Even he realized what a mean and nasty person he'd been. And uh, changed his mind. So there are many parts to the Buddhist teaching. We have to ask ourselves, which which we want. What have we gotten? My teacher said, at the end of the day, we have to kitbanchi, which means we have to tally up our bank account. What have we gotten out of it? Tally up the the ledger. What have we put into it? What have we gotten out of it? There's many things we can get from it. So, there you go. That's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for coming up.
conference was was quite surprising actually how uh, the results of it people were quite uh, quite happy for me from the talk I gave I wasn't expecting such a positive response you all can go don't stay for this part this is me chatting and don't stay for this part this is uh, this is the social part aspect of Buddhism. Okay, so I'm logged on. Let's see if we have how many questions we have. Not too many. So yeah, at the conference, um, many people were 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 were, were happy. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, is but you know, it's it was it was it was great. It was um, fruitful. So everyone, uh, I tell you, the good thing that happened this weekend from something I was able to reach a bunch of people. Everyone can anumodana, and we feel good about about that. It's a thing we do. We kind of. There's a kind of a sense of a wholesome It almost sounds like bragging But it's not meant to be bragging It's like, hey I did something good And we tell each other why So that other people can feel good about it You know, we don't do it to brag You see We do it because And, and, and this is important I think, in, I think we miss this in, in Asia they do this Often it's to brag But you share the good things you did You tell people the good things you did and we be clear that we're doing this because we want to tell each other. We want we want to hear about these things. We want an opportunity to hear about other people's good deeds so that we can express our appreciation. It's mudita. It's it's kusala. It's a it's a good uh, it's a good deed, good karma to appreciate other people's good deeds. So I'm telling you. I just remember the Lumpur Chodok would do this. He would. He would tell people about all the good things and he would say, So everyone, express your appreciation. It's good karma. Nothing wrong with that. It's good. Um, so yeah, it was... Um, I mean, it just surprised me that, that people were were, were, were looking for, the, for that kind of thing. That it was... You know, what really... What really and it shouldn't surprise me, but it, it's encouraging because... Um, this is a teaching, if any of you, many of you, I think, did watch it. But this is a teaching, it's not my teaching, you see. But this is a teaching that, that um, gets right to the heart of what mindfulness is. And you never hear it. That's why, why was I teaching that? Because that's how I feel. This is something, hey, it's, mindfulness is not something that's hard to understand. And everyone says this, that there's so many misunderstandings. You'll hear again and again people tell you, you know, there's many misunderstandings about what mindfulness is, but nobody has a has a good definition. But there is a very good sort of framework of understanding mindfulness based on the ancient texts. Anyway, that's enough about that. So let's get on to the questions. Uh, is preference a form of craving? Uh, preferring coffee to tea? Yes, definitely. 
living in the forest instead of civilization? Well, yes, there can be a something we'd call preference, but it's not preference. It's uh, an understanding of differences. So if, if living in the forest is going to help your meditation, then understanding that is, uh, is going to lead you to, to intend to live in the forest. But if you get upset when you're not living in the forest, that's preference, that's attachment, that's problematic, unwholesome. I'm currently studying clinical psychology. What is your take on psychology? I don't have a take on it. What is your take on mindfulness, meditation, and therapy? Yeah, sure. Anywhere you can use this for Satipatthana. I guess the question is, are they actually practicing the four Satipatthana? If they are, then absolutely. We have no copyright on the Dhamma. We don't put a copyright on it. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. I think that's a good saying. People respect Buddhism by practicing it. They don't disrespect Buddhism by practicing it. Now, if they get it wrong or or take things away that are necessary, add things that are unnecessary, that's on them. That's not on us. When it's said that a mind is malleable, does it mean that it can be applied to any purpose? Yes. And it's not so much about any... Yeah, yes. It's not about be any purpose. It's about how well it can be applied to any purpose. Yeah, you're, 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 it's correct what you're saying. It's it's uh, and it's not just whether it can. What I mean to say is, it's not just the the, the breadth of of application. It's the um, wieldiness of or the. I don't know. I mean, there's two. I think there's there's two terms. One is wieldy. One is malleable. I can't remember. Um, you'd have to look up in the Abhidhamma what they are. But basically, it's that. It's the ability to to uh, apply the mind. How well you're able to apply it to anything. Is the application on or of the four this way? No, no, you're you're equating things that are, shouldn't be equated. Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. Body. No, no, just because there's four doesn't mean they can be equated that way. No, absolutely not. You're you're I'm 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 in disagreement with that what you've done there. I'm not trying to criticize you, but I'd caution very much. Just because there's four things doesn't mean you... The commentaries like to do this, and sometimes you have to say, mm, I'm not quite sure. But uh, the commentary wouldn't go that far as far as you've gone. I don't think. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the arbiter of Buddhism. So, I can always be wrong. There are many times when there's nothing in the mind and I'm not being mindful of my senses. It's not peaceful, but stressful, anxiety. Slip in a state while trying to be mindful. 
Well, if you're stressful or anxious, say stress, stress. There isn't nothing. There's stress or anxiety. If you feel quiet, not very peaceful, but quiet, then you say quiet, quiet. That's called basati. Basadi, which means tranquility. There's always something. At the very least, there's an awareness. And you can say aware, or we would say knowing, knowing. Or you can just say aware, or if you feel, you say feeling. I know there are lessons in Buddhism about relinquishing desire and attachment. The monks make physical contact through hugging. Others or relieve pain through methods such as massage. Yes, I don't know about hugging. Hugging is, uh, I understand people are very adamant about how good it is. Mm, not really convinced. Massage is just a physical, useful thing. It, you know, if you massage someone's legs, old monks get cramps and so on, intense legs, muscle fatigue, and I think massage is good for that. But as far as the, psych the psychological benefits, well, that's just a crutch. You know, we're much more hardcore than that. You've got to learn to let it go. I sometimes hug someone who's feeling bad. I mean, it's not wrong, it's fine, it's just... It's, yeah, it's, it's, it is somewhat problematic because it leads to a, a good feeling and you like that good feeling. So... It's like crying. Crying makes you feel good. Hugging makes you feel good. But it's addictive, you know. Does Sota mean the radio? Oh, I don't know. The same. You're the same person. I'm. I'm somewhat skeptical looking at your second question because your first one was. Again, you are. Too complicated. Not, not. I'm sorry. Modern mindfulness. There are many scientific studies done on benefits of mindfulness, but what concerns me that they're only mindfulness, not the full Buddhist teachings. Right. Um, well, someone made an interesting point at the conference. I asked the same sort of question, or the same sort of question came up. Um, and someone said that when you what they notice is that when you practice mindfulness, you become more ethical. So he said, "Why? Where's the ethics?" Well, it's interesting how mindfulness makes you ethical. I'm not so concerned about that. Mindfulness is such a good guide that it'll show you what else you need. It'll show you what's necessary and what's unnecessary. The Buddha said it's the ekayanamaga, mindfulness. He was very, very adamant about the importance of mindfulness. He said it's satya vipoasa apamadoti vuchati. Someone who is without, who is never without mindfulness. That's what means apamada. So, yes, yeah, I'm not so concerned. Mindfulness is is really a good guide that teaches you many things about what's necessary. Give a teaching on the subject of gossip. That's not a question. That's asking me to give a whole other talk. Um, gossip. Can I say something about gossip? Gossip is only um, only done away with at the arahant stage. So even a sotapanna still is gossip. Um, sorry, maybe not. If you, gossip, if it's referring to um, trying to divide people, right? 
telling divisive gossip, right? No, that's something else. That's done away with that anagami, I think. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's wrong. What, what do you want me to say? It's harmful. It's Being mindful will help you see it. During a retreat, people can report their progress. Teachers suggested to keep a diary. Lately, I experienced problems with reporting. If I hear the instructions word for word, but I'm unable to hear his tired sentence. At home, although I know for certain that there was a moment when I often can't recall the beginning of the session, which, what should I report in those cases? You don't have to report. You know, if the teacher will ask you questions. I don't know. The different different uh, teachers have different expectations. Um, what I want to know, and it doesn't require you to think to to keep a journal, is really what's different today than it was yesterday or or this week from last week. What's new? And I don't think you need to have strong memory or anything for that. You just have to. Tell me what's uh, what's of interest this week. If there's nothing, if it's just going smoothly, there's not much to report. And we want to know is uh, we want to know what's what's arising. Is there pain? Uh, thoughts about the past or future? The hindrances are they coming up? That kind of thing. Can reporting become a hindrance? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's a bit of a challenge when you're, when you're just being very mindful, and not worrying about remembering things that happen. But I think that I think your feelings might change over time. What are your thoughts on Zen? I don't have many thoughts on Zen. There is no more experience of liking or disliking in my mind. Understand intellectually prefer things, but don't myself. Is this on the right path? Sounds good, but uh, you know, make sure you're not clinging to it as my mind. It's a problem. How can I put one of the four bodhisattva vows into practice? Well, I don't teach them, so I'm not the right person to ask. When not formally meditating, such one be mindfully a of everything this isn't just me this sentence doesn't make sense right should one be mindful of everything they do or have semi it's not a question even I think it's trying to be a question I think you need to reformulate that and be careful of your grammar and I mean, bad grammar is fine, for, especially if you're not an English speaker, but uh, if I can't understand it, I can't answer it. Okay, that's all the questions. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night.